Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, your host for Scaling Up H2O. Folks, I'm going to talk to you today about something that I recently did that was really out of my comfort level. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, well, wait a second. As I tell the Scaling Up Nation about this, they're going to think I'm weird, but that's okay. I think you already think this. So a couple of months ago, I was speaking with my business coach, Tim Fulton. You all know Tim Fulton from episode 22. Tim Fulton has been working with me for, geez, at least, I want to say we're coming up on 10 years. And he is just fantastic. He is able to ask questions in a way that makes me think of things differently. He has taught me so much about business, and I just really admire Tim Fulton. I think I've called him on the show a couple times, my business hero. He truly is my business hero. Well, Tim hosts an event called Small Business Matters, and that's his company, and it's also a conference that he puts on. I guess conference is the best way to say that. And what he does, he does a TED Talk-style format where he has about uh, 10 to 12 speakers come up and speak on a topic, and then there's about a 10-minute roundtable discussion at your table group where you talk about the most you've gotten out of the speakers and talk about some action items. So Tim is all about giving you new information, but then also about putting handles on it so you can do something with that. Well, Tim has put on, I think this is the fifth or sixth conference. And I can't remember how many I have been to because then I could tell you because I have been to all of them except for one. The one I was not able to go to was when my father passed away, and that's how I know I've only missed one. That being said, Tim resurrected the conference after being on hiatus for two years, and we were all glad that he did. And when he did that, he sent out a notice saying that he was going to have some great speakers on. Well, Tim and I had lunch, and I spoke with him, and I asked him about how he was getting his speakers, and was he all set for speakers? He told me he was. But then he paused and he asked, well, why do you ask? And I told him, well, I always thought it'd be really neat to speak at one of your conferences. And Tim paused again and he said, well, you know what? I think I miscounted. We do have one spot open. So Tim opened up a spot for me to speak at his Small Business Matters conference. And that was just awesome. Well, then I remember somebody gave me a cartoon once about the coyote and the roadrunner and the coyote finally caught the roadrunner and the caption was, now what do I do? So I kind of felt like that. Okay, well, Tim gave me this incredible honor. I asked for it. He gave it to me. Now what do I do? Well, and that's what I want to talk about during this podcast. I've always enjoyed speaking of Uh, Let me let me refine that. I enjoy teaching. I love taking a topic that I might not know much about and learning enough about it that I can anticipate other people's questions and teach it to them. That's a technique that I picked up that worked really well for me a long time ago, that if you're trying to devour new information, figure out a way you can teach it, and it changes your mindset of how you absorb the information. And that has just worked really, really well for me. So I've always taken that stance whenever I've tried to tackle new information. Well, I've enjoyed speaking, but I've never spoke on a TED Talk level. And for those of you that don't know what a TED Talk is, TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. Now, I've enjoyed TED Talks for quite some time. In fact, it was Tim Fulton that introduced me to the TED Talk forum when I first took a business class from him. That's how Tim Fulton and I met. Well, The thing I want to talk about on this podcast is where are you comfortable? And what I mean by that is what do you do day to day that you just don't think about and you continue doing it? And are you okay with that? And maybe you are, and that's fine. But I like to continuously stretch myself to try to be better than I was the previous day. I don't know if I've ever shared on the podcast what my mission statement is, but my mission statement is to end each day knowing that I made it better than the last. And that means that I'm constantly improving. I'm constantly learning. 
I'm trying to build people up, all of that stuff. That's what that means to me. And it also means to me that I try to practice something that I learned in the seven habits of highly effective people. Everybody on the Scaling Up Nation knows that that is my favorite book, just because there is just so much information within that book that I have been able to use. Well, in Habit One, Habit One is to be proactive. It talks about a concept called the circle of influence and the circle of concern. And basically, these two circles lay on top of each other, and your circle of concern are things that you're concerned about things that happen in your life and they definitely concern you, but maybe you can't do that much about them. You just have to deal with it. And then there's the circle of influence where these are the things that you can do something about. And the interesting thing about this is the bigger your circle of influence gets, and typically the circle of influence lies within the circle of concern, the circle of influence will get bigger and bigger and bigger. So the things that are just of concern to you, now you have influence over. And think about that. That is really true. When you first started your job, you know, people might have trusted you to do what you said you were going to do, but you still have to go through those proving grounds so people can say, okay, well, he said he could do these things, but I really have to verify them for myself. Now that you've done those things, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. People will trust that you'll do what you say because your actions have allowed that to be seen. Well, the more you do like that, the bigger that circle of influence becomes. And it means that you're, you know, you're growing your influence. Well, I kind of look at my mind in the same way. When I do the same things each and every day and I don't really think about them, I'm not really growing my mind. But when I work on the outside of that comfort level, then I know that I am expanding what I am able to do. I'm expanding my abilities. I'm becoming better at whatever I'm trying to become better at. And that's a big deal for me. I always try to make sure that I am getting better at whatever it is that I'm trying to do. In this case, it is speaking. I do enjoy teaching. I think it is my favorite thing on the planet. But as far as writing something, coming up with a message and allowing the audience to go home and do something with it based on something that I wrote, I don't know if I've ever done that outside of teaching water treatment or teaching math or teaching the seven habits of highly effective people. I've always taken some sort of curriculum and then taught that. Well, I decided it was time to do that. And Tim Fulton, he gave me the opportunity. So I am going to take you into the process that I did getting prepared for this TED Talk. The first thing I had to do was create a rough draft. And many of you know Des Thornton from my podcast. He was on episode 60. And Des has been in my business group with Tim for a little over a year. And that's how I got to meet Des. And Des really taught me a process for writing whenever I'm speaking in front of people. And I had one on my own, but he really fortified it. And he's a professional at doing that. So uh, I figured, hey, he had to know more than I did. He does this for a living. So for the last year or so, I've copied his format. And what that is, is you pretty much write an outline. And then from that outline, you brainstorm, you're like, okay, well, what do you know? What do you know that you want other people to know? And more specifically, what do they not know that you know that they need to know? I'm not sure if I'm saying that exactly right to how Des says it, but that's how I set it up. So I came up with what that concept was, and then I came up with how I was going to present it and how I was going to entertain as I was going to present it. So I created that outline, and then I started creating content to that. I got the content that I thought was pretty good, and I went ahead and I presented that to some people in my business group. Now, I don't know if you've ever received feedback from something that you've written and performed in front of a group of peers, but my recommendation to you is if you've ever do that to just listen. Don't try to don't try to defend what you're saying. You know what you know. You don't know what others know. So if somebody is ever going to give you some feedback for whatever it is that you do, just take a deep breath, take it in 
and get the feedback because a lot of people will try to defend their position and then they're not hearing what's being said. If somebody's going to take the time to share with you what they think about what you are doing or what you just did, that's an opportunity. Now, what I like to do is take notes on things so I don't forget. But I got to be honest, if I'm taking notes, I'm more worried about taking the notes than I am about hearing the person and making sure I totally understand them. So what I recommend and what I do is I'll set my phone up and I will record what they are saying to me. That way I can go back at a later time and I can take notes on if I need to. Those of you that listened to the podcast before, you've heard me talk about Vistage. This is my business group, and there's 12 of us, and all of them went around, and they asked me what I was trying to convey after I conveyed it, and then they gave me some feedback. And then at the very end, our facilitator asked what I heard. And I tell you, that is a great question to ask whenever you give somebody feedback, hey, tell me what you think about this. And then you give them maybe some pretty rough criticism. Well, then ask them, what did you hear? And a lot of times uh, these are really good clarifying questions that I might have heard something that they were not saying. Because for some reason, we take every comment we get as negative towards us. And these people were not being negative at all. They were trying to be helpful. And I did not take their comments as being negative. In fact, their comments on what I wrote allowed me to write something that was far better than what I originally wrote. All right, so if you're just joining the story, what we've done is Tim Fulton asked me to speak after I asked him if I could speak. He said yes, I had to write something. I wrote something. I presented it to my business group, and now I've received feedback from the business group, and now I'm going back to rewrite it. Well, I listened to the recording of their critiques, and I made sure I jotted down some notes, and I made a list of all of their suggestions. Then I rewrote it completely. Now, I had the same ideas, but uh, they had a lot of good information. And I'm trying specifically to tell you, or rather not tell you, what the suggestions were and what the topic was on, because I I want to have you listen to the talk, and I'm hoping that once you listen to the talk, I've created what I was trying to create instead of telling you what I was creating as I created it, and then you could just hear it. And I don't know if that made any sense or not, but that's why I'm going at this the way I am. So I then uh, took out some notes that I had from Dez's interview on Scaling Up H2O, which was 60, and he goes through his complete process on episode 60. And I didn't do that before. I did it off of memory, but this time I wanted to make sure I went through his process, and I did that, and I think I wrote a decent presentation. And I practiced it maybe a handful of times, and then it was rehearsal for the actual event. This was in front of Des Thornton, the uh, public speaking coach, and then Tim Fulton, who was putting on this event, and also somebody that gave me a shot when he really didn't have one available. He just said, hey, we're going we're gonna to put this up for you. So I was the last one to go during the, all of the rehearsals. So I heard all the critiques of everybody else, and I also heard everybody else get applause. I didn't get any applause. There, there was nothing. I was done, and I looked up, and there were just people staring at me. So there were about eight people in the rehearsal. And I was like, okay. And then I got the critiques, and the critiques I got was it was very hard to follow. And I time travel during my presentation. Again, I'm going to try to tell you not too much about my talk so you can hear it. But I, I go back in time. I go forward in time. And I want to take the audience with me. And based on the comments that I received, I was not taking the audience with me. They didn't know where I was. And that was an issue. Also, I wasn't using PowerPoint in a way that helped with that. And Dez's comment was to use the PowerPoint to create signposts. So you are here. And you knew exactly where you were. And then if anybody got confused from listening to me, they could just look up on the screen and do that. So that was a great recommendation. 
He told me a bunch of stuff. Let me go through some of the comments that Des told me. My tenses were getting confused. Again, I time travel in this presentation, so tenses were important. I needed to make sure that all of my words were properly chosen words, because that's all I had. People were listening to my words. So I needed to go through that. Des went through how he would structure the story and, and gave me some advice on that, and that was, that was really helpful. He also told me about the PowerPoint, making sure that I only had a picture up there when I wanted them to use the picture to help the story. So I have a tendency of just leaving a slide up after I finish speaking about it. And Des says that can be confusing to the audience. You only use PowerPoint slides to punctuate what you were trying to say. When you're done talking about them, take them away. And if you don't have another slide to put up, use the blank portion or the blackout slide for PowerPoint. And you can do that either by hitting a button on your remote or you can actually put a black slide in there. Des talked to me about making sure that I knew what I wanted to tell the audience about before I even went into running the presentation, which I thought I did, but after he talked to me, I was able to do a much better job. But he wanted to know, you know, what do I want the audience to do about my message? You know, uh, before they came into my message, what did I believe that they believed? What did I want them to learn and experience during my message? And then specifically afterwards, how do I give them some handles that they can actually go out and do something with it? How do I clarify my message? Now, Des didn't tell me this, but I did see another speech about writing speeches, and he talked about having a cadence. How do you have a particular cadence that you continue to come back to? He called it a hook, like a hook in a song, where you keep coming back to a particular phrase. So I went ahead and I weaved that in. I also weaved in some gestures whenever I would say it so people would connect the gestures and what I said with the main message. So I used that to clarify the message. I also remember that same speaker telling me that audiences remember on average 6% of what you say. Now you have 100% of your message and when they go away, they maybe remember 6% of that. So you need to tell them what your message is, specifically with this cadence, at least six to seven times so they could remember it. Des then critiqued other people's movements, like how they would walk on stage, where they would put their hands, where uh, their gestures would be. And I thought this was fascinating because I never really thought about this. And for those of you that have seen me speak, I move around a lot because I just like to stay animated. But Des said, you know, if you put your hand in your pocket, you convey a message to your audience that you are casual. Hence, what you were saying is casual and they don't need to take it seriously. So he advises you not to put your hands in your pocket when you're speaking on stage. He also said that if you were going to make a gesture, say you were going to open up your hands, you need to be able to see between your torso and your arms. You need to be able to see a big gesture. This gets people's attention, and if you're going to do a movement on stage, it needs to be intentional. I speak with my hands, so I really had to work with this. I wanted to make sure that my movements were the punctuation, as Des called it, since they couldn't read what I was saying, I had to help them punctuate it. Then changing the inflection in your voice is also how you change the mood. It's how you add punctuation. It's how you get people's attention. You can even get people's attention by lowering your voice, not depth-wise, but speaking softly to make people actually come in and pay attention more. I got to tell you, I was so impressed to see a professional like Des work. There is so much that you can do to help your message. If you are writing a speech and you have access to a speech coach, I got to tell you, it is a really unique process. And then he went into adding humor. And I had humor, but I could do more with it. I could actually do something with my PowerPoint slides. I could do something with my inflection. I could do something with the speed in which I told it. And folks, I know anybody that has done comedy out there, you know, timing is everything. So being able to speed up and slow down. And then when you make a joke, 
to not go right past it. You have to give people time to kind of absorb something and also enjoy it after they discovered what's going on there. And I was going a little quickly with that. So all great stuff. So I'm hoping you all can visualize that I just did my presentation. I got all of this great feedback But keep in mind, I did not get the first little bit of applause and people were confused about my message. And this was about a week before I did my presentation. So uh, I was highly, highly concerned. After the critique was over, I gathered up my notes and they started meeting on the logistics of the conference for the following week. Well, I figured I didn't need to be there for that. So I went ahead and left. Well, later, Tim Fulton called me and wanted to make sure that I was okay. And when he first said that, I was like, wow, (laughs) was it really that bad? And he was checking on me. Tim and I have a really good relationship. And I knew most of the people in the room. And he said it was just odd for me to leave the way I did. And I didn't mean any disrespect. It was just I wasn't part of that part of the meeting. And Atlanta does get a little trafficy on Fridays. Who am I kidding? It gets trafficy every day. But especially on Fridays, the the rush hour starts a little bit earlier. So I figured I would take that time to get over to our side of town. So I got to tell you, and I don't know if I told anybody this uh, up until this point, but I started to think about telling Tim that, you know, well, maybe uh, maybe something might come up a week from today and maybe you should find another speaker. I didn't do that. And I'm really glad I didn't. But I will tell you that came in my mind. And from that point on, the speech got very real to me. I started getting nervous and I do not get nervous when I speak. Now, I will get excited But for me to get nervous, for me to think, okay, maybe I need to come up with a way to get out of this, that actually energized me. I was thinking, you know what? I am working on the outside of my comfort level. If I'm getting nervous like this, I'm exactly where I need to be. And I drew energy from that because I had to do something because I was so gosh darn nervous. So let me take you now to the rewrite. So now I started rewriting the outline and I followed exactly what Des had instructed me to do. And I wanted to make sure that I had my message. I had a statement. What did I think my audience believed? What was the journey I wanted to take them through? And then what did I want them to do after they heard me speak? And then this is how I actually did the outline. So I had an introduction. I had a problem. I wanted to make sure that I didn't assume that they knew what the problem was, which is what I did on my first write. So on my final write, the rewrite that I'm doing now, I stated the problem. You know what? I haven't had a pro- I haven't had a slide that said the problem on there. I wanted to make sure they knew exactly what that was. And then we did some time travel. I've already alluded to this. So I told them what was going on in the present. I repeated the problem, and then I told them what was needed to solve the problem. I then took them into the past. I repeated the problem, and I told them how we solved the problem in the past and what we did with it in present day. I then took them to the future, repeated the problem, and then told them how we solved the problem. After all that was said and done, I then restated the problem, and I told them how it was solved. And then I gave them handles on what exactly I wanted them to do. Finally, I concluded it. I restated the problem. And then I said, thank you and got off the stage. So those were the parts to my presentation. If you noticed, I talked about the problem no less than seven times. So they would be able to understand it. Once I had the outline, I made sure that I had various things within the outline that I wanted to cover, specifically the the message that I just told you about. And then I went through and I, I wrote a script and I do not do well on scripts. When I can speak from my heart or my emotions, I do pretty well. And my mind serves me pretty well that I can think a couple of thoughts ahead of what's actually coming out of my mouth. On speaking on stage, that works very well. In speaking with your spouse, that does not work very well because uh, a lot of times I will forget to say words 
or I won't hear something properly. So for those of you that, that, that share that with me, just keep that in mind. It does have its superpower abilities only being able to be used in certain areas, and it does not work well with all conversations. So with that, I started writing my speech. This was the third time I wrote it, but now I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Once I wrote it, I then went through and I made sure I chose the best words to convey my message. And English has so many words out there and there's so many words that you can choose and which are the best ones, what are the audience going to identify with, and more specifically, what are the ones that you were going to remember? I found very quickly as I was doing this that words that were outside of my regular vocabulary might not have been very easy for me to pick up on if I were to get lost in my message. So what I mean by that, when you memorize a script, you're speaking from a script. But when you know the message and what you're trying to convey and you can speak with an audience and you can work within that audience to make sure that that specific audience is getting your message with that, you know, you might not be able to just stick to your script. And if all you know is your script, that creates a problem. So I wanted to make sure my words would allow me to maneuver when I was actually giving my presentation. So. I had this rewrite, I read through it, I said it a couple times aloud. In fact, I recorded it and then listened to it and it still wasn't quite right. So that's when I engaged somebody who would write to edit my presentation. So I wanted to make sure that they had things like subject verb agreement. I thought I did a good job on that, but somebody who writes for a living, they can just see that stuff very easily. I wanted to make sure that all my tenses were correct. Again, I'm traveling uh, in and out of time. Uh, well, I guess I'm always in time, but I'm traveling forward. I'm traveling backwards. I wanted to make sure all my tenses were right. I wanted to make sure my pronouns were right. I would actually speak with my former self, and I wanted to make sure that I had the right pronouns so I didn't confuse the audience. So that person corrected all of my language and made sure that all of that was correct. So then I went ahead and I recorded myself and I pretty much read the script and I wanted to make sure that I could follow it and it sounded like it should sound. After I really got a handle on my script and I was fine with that, I went ahead and said, okay, where do I need to add some flavor into the presentation. And that's where I did my PowerPoint slides. And I went and I gathered some images and I used the slides to help convey one, where I was in time, but two, also uh, if I had a joke, I might have a PowerPoint slide in there. If I wanted to really make sure somebody got a message, I would punctuate that with a PowerPoint slide. So now to take you back again where I am, I had done the rewrite, I had gotten it revised from somebody who is very good at English and language, and they made sure all my words were what they needed to be. I made sure my PowerPoint slide helped with that, and now I read it and recorded it, and now what I am doing is I am listening to it for a second time, making sure I still like it with the PowerPoint slides, and I'm making notes in my script where the PowerPoint slides need to come on. So I'm trying to make sure my timing is perfect with my PowerPoint slides so I know where to click that button. Then I started creating the gestures that I was going to use to punctuate my message. And then I was done. I had it. I had it pretty well. And I started practicing it and practicing it and practicing it. So once I had done everything for myself and I was pretty pleased with what I did, I contacted some trusted advisors and I read through what I was doing. I basically did the entire presentation with the PowerPoint and they said it sounded pretty good. In fact, the words they used was I nailed it. So that, that made me feel pretty good. And now it was time for me to practice. And folks, to come up with a fictional story. Some of it was true, obviously, but obviously I don't have a time travel machine, so that part wasn't true. And to make sure that I wasn't worried about stating my memorized script, but I knew it so well that I could connect with the audience, 
that I can make eye contact with the audience, that I could do specific gestures with the audience. To know it that well, that really took a lot of practice. And I spent a lot of time, I mean a lot of time, making sure that I knew this presentation. And if I had any issues where I was getting lost in my presentation, I had practiced what I would do as far as movements or just just taking a breath, making sure it looked as natural as it possibly could. So I did all of those things, and then it was the day of the presentation. Wow. You talk about getting nervous. And again, I do not get nervous when I get in front of people, but I, I knew that I was working outside of my comfort level because uh, I, was, I was super nervous. Well, a guy that works with me, his, his name is Chris, and he is just incredible. He's been with my company for over 10 years, uh, just, just an amazing individual. He's in the story. And one of my things that I was worried about was telling my story to him and him saying, oh, wow, I'm actually in this. Um, you know, he's I know exactly what he's talking about. So Chris was there early at the office working on a project before we left for the Small Business Matters Conference. And I asked Chris, I said, can I go ahead and just give you what I'm getting ready to give in uh, a couple of hours? And he said, sure. So I went ahead and delivered that to him. And I got to see his specific reactions as I was doing that. And I think that got a lot of the nerves out that he wasn't going to be hearing it for the first time as everybody else was hearing it. And there were a couple of hundred people that were actually in the audience when I gave it. But I wanted to make sure I focused on Chris. Now, in retrospect, if he said he didn't like it, I'm not really sure what I would have done at that point. There wasn't any time to change it. So then we drove to the conference. It was about uh, 45 minutes from the office. And again, we live in Atlanta, so you can go across the street and that might take you 45 minutes. So it really wasn't mileage-wise that far. I was the sixth speaker in the lineup. So, and again, how Tim does the conference is speakers will go on and your time slot, I don't think I ever mentioned this before, is 15 minutes. You have to stay within 15 minutes. So a speaker goes on. Tim thanks them. They introduce the next speaker. That speaker goes on. Tim thanks them. They do that for four speakers. And then Tim has you talk in your table and all the tables are in rounds. And there's a table coach and the table coach will have some questions that they want to ask. And then they lead the table in discussion. Well, I remember I was talking about one of the speakers and then I got a tap on the shoulder and it was one of the producers and they asked me to come into the ready room. Well, we started getting mic'd up and that's when, you know, I knew it was going to happen, but you know, I was really close for this going on. I was the sixth speaker out of 11 speakers. So the fifth speaker was ready to go on stage. I was behind him. And then I remember watching the fifth speaker. John Fenton is the speaker that was on, and he was talking about some life experiences that he had. And specifically, he was talking about how you make the most out of life and all your experiences. And, you know, don't just live to get to the next thing. It wasn't about the end. It was about the journey that you were getting there. And I was thinking, you know what? a great message for me to hear right before I went on because, and this is exactly one of the things that motivated me to talk about this on the podcast was I wanted to tell you about the journey that I went on and I hope it will help you as you prepare for whatever you're doing. And you might not be getting in front of a couple of hundred people like I did. You might just be uh, preparing something for your boss or a customer. But I really think it does lend itself, what I'm saying, to any of those circumstances. So I'm now waiting to go on, and John's talking about relaxing. And John is a, a football player. He's a big guy, and he does Tai Chi. And Tai Chi, he describes as a moving meditation. And he starts describing some of these things that he does Specifically, you know, closing your eyes and breathing in through your nose and breathing out through your mouth and putting your palms upwards as you do it. So I, I do this as I'm backstage waiting to go on. And I tell you, it really, it really centered me. It really got me focused. 
uh, I was less nervous and it really, really worked. So John wants to get me in a Tai Chi class, so I'll have to let you know if that actually happens. But anyway, so I'm doing this reading class and I recite my purpose. And my purpose was that whatever the words were that came out of my mouth during my speech, I wanted it to build others up. And everything else that happened, great, but that was my primary focus. So I went ahead and I, I restated that. And then Tim introduces me. Tim comes on stage. He gives me a great introduction. He talks a little bit about some of the things that I do. He lets everybody knows that uh, I work in water as a, a water treatment professional, that I'm a scuba dive instructor, all of that. And, and I tell you, you know, Tim was just very nice how he presented me. And I don't exactly remember exactly what he said because I was really focused on going on. But I remember the feeling. I remember I liked what I heard. And then I do remember that he announces me as a non-professional speaker. He said every year he likes to get somebody to come up who doesn't speak for a profession and just see how they do. And I don't, again, remember exactly what he said, but I do remember how he said it. And I remember, again, feeling that, uh, all right, well, well, Tim lowered the bar a little bit for me. And, you know, he's, he's really expecting me to, to do well. And again, don't remember exactly what he said, but I'm going to share with you a YouTube video later. So you'll be able to see exactly what he said. And then I go on stage. I walk up on stage and I see a lot of people in the audience that I know. And Atlanta has got a very large business community because of my involvement with Tim and Vistage and going to these small business matter conferences for a couple of years. I knew a lot of the people there. I probably knew at least a, a dozen or two dozen people there out of the several hundred that were there. So with that, I was looking at their faces and I mean, they all wanted me to do well. I could tell that. And I got a lot of energy from that. I was really excited. It was like people were just beaming support to me and I could really, really feel that. And that helped with me being nervous. Well, then I gave my first line 15 minutes in Sioux and that was my speech. So I walk off stage and then Tim gives me incredible praise and, you know, people people really cheered for me. Again, I, if somebody asked me what Tim said, I have no idea what Tim said. I don't remember what Tim said, but I remember that he made me feel really good about what we just did. So I was then escorted backstage. They took the mic off and I remember thinking, all right, I am now on the other side of this. And that made me feel pretty good. And then as I would see people, as they would maybe get a glass of water because I was in the back of the room now, or maybe uh, excuse themselves to go to the restroom, everybody came back and they would shake my hand and say, what a great job that I did. Then we finished the third speaker of the session. I was the second speaker of the session and the fourth speaker of the session. I went ahead and went back to my table group and my table was extremely congratulatory to me. And we started talking about things and people were talking about what they learned about my message with the other messages. I overheard another table where somebody was saying, you know, he's actually in my business group. I know that guy. Yeah, he actually showed it to me on his very first rough draft. And I can't believe how good it is now. It wasn't bad the first time, but it was amazing this time. So I'm not really paying attention to my group table where we're talking about uh, something else because I'm hearing this in the background. But that made me feel pretty, pretty good. After we were finished with that, we broke for lunch. And then during lunch, uh, people started coming up to me. I bet you two dozen people came up to me and congratulated me on my presentation. And then several of the speakers that were either getting ready to go on or that went on before said I did a really good job and, and really gave me a lot of praise. And, and that made me feel really good, too. And then Tim came over sat down next to me as I was eating lunch and just told me I knocked it out of the park. And I do remember those were his exact words. Everything else that he said when I got off stage or I was going on on stage, I, I don't remember what he said. I remember how I felt, but I don't remember exactly the words. I can tell you, I remember him looking me straight in the eye, looking extremely proud and saying, I knocked it out of the park. Then Des came over, the professional speech coach comes over 
And I'm thinking, uh-oh, what is going to go on now? Because Dez saw my presentation when it was not very good. And he came over and he said he cannot believe the difference between last Friday and this Friday. By the way, that was just a week between that time that I was telling you. And he told me he was really impressed. He said he couldn't imagine how much time I spent on preparation, but he was, he was really impressed with that. Throughout the day, people kept coming up to me and saying that I did a really good job. One gentleman came up, Bernie Meineke, and he was the gentleman that ran the group that I originally met Tim Fulton through. He told me that he thought it was great, and I said it's nice to have it in the rearview mirror, I think is what I said. He said, well, you're not done with this. This was a really good concept. You need to figure out how to develop this. What's the next step? Where are you going to take this? And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. And then others started saying something similar. And uh, since it is a TED Talk format, several people came in and said that they really thought that I should get up on stage at an actual TED event. I heard that from several people, including Des Thornton. So I was extremely pleased with that. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about the nominations on TED. I'm going to have you listen to this. So I'm getting ready to have you listen to my actual presentation, and then there'll be a YouTube link on my show notes page so you can actually see the PowerPoint slides that I did. But I know that's difficult while you're driving, so that's coming up. Since everybody wants me to get on the actual TED stage, if you go to speaker-nominations.ted.com, you can nominate me or someone else. So I'll have that on my show notes page. And uh, you might not want to nominate me. You might say, no, this is probably where it needs to stay. But there were enough people that encouraged me to, to do that. I think I'd really like to try that. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and let the Scaling Up Nation hear what I did on Tim Fulton's Small Business Matter Conference 2019. How are we doing? Sound good? Good. All right. Well, as Tim alluded to, I am a water treater. I own the best water treatment company in Atlanta. I even host a podcast about water treatment. And I know what you're thinking, this guy is going to talk to us about water treatment. Well, I'm not. I'm going to talk about science and how science can help solve a problem that many of us in this room share. Now, what kind of science are we going to be talking about? Chemistry? No. Biology? No. We are going to be talking about the scientific discoveries of this man right here, Dr. Emmett Brown. You see, the problem many of us entrepreneurs share is that we keep valuable information locked up inside our heads. Information that if we choose to let out could help our people. Information that could inspire our people, and information that most of all could help us help ourselves. My issue was my people were not making the best decisions. In some cases, the decisions they were making were actually driving the company backwards instead of forwards. You see, they didn't understand the company the way I understood the company, because I was the one that started the company. I was the one that made things work when we had no resources. And I was the one that experienced the successes and the failures that started our company. My life would be so much easier if my team could simply read my mind. Unfortunately, Doc Brown's mind reading machine, it never worked right. So that was not an option. I needed a way to show my team the why behind why I started my business. If I could figure out a way to do this, they could use that information to make better decisions because they would understand the company better and they would understand me better. 
Well, luckily, not all of Doc Brown's inventions were failures. On November 5th, 1955, Doc Brown was hanging a clock in his bathroom when he slipped, fell, knocked himself unconscious, and when he came to, he drew this. This is the flux capacitor, and this is the tool that we are going to use to solve our problem. The flux capacitor allows us to move backwards and forwards through time. Well, as Doc Brown said, if you are going to build a time machine, do it in style. So he installed the flux capacitor inside a DeLorean. Well, my team, excited to take off on the adventure, we climbed into the DeLorean. Now, the DeLorean was not built for the comfort of very many people in mind. But comfort did not matter. We were on a mission, a mission to go back to the first day I started my company. We set the time circuits to January 15, 2004. Now, finding a place in Atlanta traffic to get the DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour was a bit challenging. But we found it, the time circuits fired, and we were instantly transported back to 2004. I drove the DeLorean up to our present-day office location to find we had not moved in yet. I remembered we had moved three times before we moved into that building. So I drove my team to our first building, my house. As we approached my house, my team saw my former self unloading a delivery truck and stacking the products in the garage. They immediately wanted to go and help, but I had to remind them of Doc Brown's warning. We could not change the timeline, because that could create a time paradox and disrupt the future we would be returning to. All we could do was ask questions, questions my team was hungry for. We got out of the glory and my team immediately went over to my former self. They wanted to know why I started the company. They wanted to know why I just didn't simply go to work for someone else. That would have been a lot easier. I, I mean him, me, Simple mechanics always gives me a headache. My former self told them that he could not find a water treatment company that practiced water treatment with the same high standard that his father had taught him. He went on to say that his father was the best water treater he ever knew and learned from him. He then took us all into the company's first office, the third bedroom. <laughs> where he showed us the first business plan that started the company. Embedded within that plan was our company's first mission statement. It read to practice water treatment in a way that would make my father proud. It was in that moment I so badly wanted to tell my former self that he would lose his father in just a few short years, but I couldn't. That could disrupt the timeline. My team continued asking question after question. They wanted to know about the experiences, and they wanted to know how my 2004 self could practice water treatment with the same high standards that we did in present day with the apparent lack of resources we had. And that's when it happened. My team got it. They finally had access to the information I had locked up inside my head. Well, right about that time, the phone rang. My former self answered, and it was a client. It happened to be his only client at the time, so he had to excuse himself to take care of business. We quietly let ourselves out. We piled back into the DeLorean. We set the time circuits to present day, got it up to 88 miles an hour, the time circuits fired, and we were back at the exact same moment that we left from. When we got back, my team had a deeper understanding of the company. They were able to use the experiences that they had to make better decisions. In some cases, they even made better decisions than the ones I would have made. And the best part was I wasn't even there when they made them. Going back in time worked marvelously. Doc Brown's invention did something that I could never do before. It unlocked the knowledge that I had inside my head and shared it with those that could do something with it. Most importantly, 
It brought the why behind why I started my company into the present where we can all share it. Well, as any good entrepreneur would think, if going back in time works so well, why not go forward in time? We had a time machine, so that is exactly what we did. We climbed into the DeLorean, we set the time circuits to three years into the future. Again, getting a place where Atlanta traffic allowed us to get up to 88 miles an hour was challenging. But we found it, the time circuits fired, and we were three years into the future. In case you're wondering, Atlanta still has a traffic problem. <laughs> we drove to our present day location to find we had expanded into the building next door. And the parking lot was full. We walked inside and we were greeted by people we had not yet met. We hadn't hired them yet. We asked them questions like, what was their job? How did they do their job? What equipment did they need to do this job? And then we interviewed our future selves. We wanted to know how they created what we were seeing. They told us about the successes and the failures that they had to endure to create what we were standing at. My team got together, we made sure we had a clear and common vision of exactly what we were seeing so we could remember it as we went back. We climbed into the DeLorean, we set the time circuits to present day, we got it up to 88 miles an hour, time circuits fired, and we were returned back to the exact same moment that we left from. <clears throat> when we returned back, my team was inspired about what they saw. They knew what could be built because they saw it. They were part of it. And because we all had a common vision, we had a map of how to get back there. The time travel experiences we had could not have worked better for the company. It acted like rocket fuel propelling us where we never thought we would go before. And I know what you're thinking. This sounds amazing, and you can't wait to do this for your company. There's only one problem. You don't have a flux capacitor. So let me tell you how you can build one of your very own. Tell your company, tell your team the why behind why you started the business. Share with them the experiences that you had because they want to know them. Tell them the vision that you have for the future. After all, they're the ones that are going to help you build it. Here is how we actually do this in our company. When we are interviewing a new candidate, we send them an email. Within that email has a document called our painted picture. Our painted picture contains the why we started the company. It talks about how we work, and then it tells about the future. Within the email we send them, we say, after reading our painted picture, if this is a company you not only want to work for, but help us build, respond back to us with the words, interview me in the subject line. On their first day of onboarding, I personally tell them why I started the company. I share with them experiences that I have, and I let them know where the company is going. I also make sure that they know what they are seeing in present day is not the product of my vision alone, but all the people that joined me and decided they wanted to build something bigger than what they originally hired on to. Each and every year, we do annual planning. On November 5th, actually. We decide what went well and what didn't go well during that year. We then apply those lessons to the upcoming year. We then mentally go three years into the future and we ask each other questions about what we're seeing. We make sure we have a clear and common vision and then we come up with all the issues that are going to get in our way and we solve them. We then take a one-third piece of that vision and that becomes our annual plan. Now a year is a very large piece of time. To get better handles on that, we divide that up into four quarters. And for the next 90 days, we take the most important goals off of that annual plan and we work on them. At the end of that 90 days, we evaluate what life taught us and we apply that to the next quarter. We then pick off the next goals and work on those. 
At the end of four quarters, we celebrate achieving our annual goals. And then on November 5th, we go three years into the future and we do it all over again. Your team is hungry for the information you have locked up inside your head. When you decide to share this with the people that matter most, it's as if your company has its own flux capacitor. And when you get it up to 88 miles an hour, your company is going to see some serious stuff. My name is Trace Blackmore, and I am the Chief Cultural Officer for Blackmore Enterprises. Well, there it is. What do you think? That was something that I wrote from scratch. Uh, it's something that was totally my material. It is a theme that I use quite a bit in our company. I use Back to the Future a lot because if we know what we are building together, we can help each other build it. And I'm also a very strong proponent that for you business owners out there, if your people understand why you started the company, now they can help you more than you can ever imagine. So this was something that I've done in my company for a very long time, but I've never shared it before. And I decided to share it in a way that would engage people. So I hope you like it. I'm not sure if you could hear how nervous I was. I wanted to make sure I did a good job. And I knew, again, that I was expanding my abilities because of how nervous I was. And I wanted to end the podcast by saying, you know, you're the only one that can push yourself. You know, I wanted to do this. So that was the desire. I had the desire to make myself do something that I hadn't done before. Now, Tim was the one that gave me the opportunity, but Tim didn't make me do it. Tim didn't do anything but open up a door. I was the one that had to walk through it. So whether it's public speaking, whether it's being a better water treater, or if it's being a better business owner, whatever that is, somebody can maybe help guide you. They might even give you a slight nudge, but you're the one that has to push yourself to walk through the door. You're the one that has to make it happen. I'm also going to say that there was a lot of process in this, and I shared with you the process that I did. That is where you should get the enjoyment, not the fact at the very end where you're getting applause for what you just did, but the actual journey that you took getting there. I learned how to become a better teacher when I go to water treatment conferences because of this process, because I made sure that I was identifying with the audience better and I knew how to quantify that and I forced myself to go through this process. That's where the true triumph, I think, began. And that is definitely where all the growth happened. All the practice that I did, that was where I was growing what I was able to do. Now, what you saw at the very end was just the last 15 minutes of that journey. And I think so many of us, when we see somebody making an accomplishment, is we just think of that accomplishment. And wow, you know, that, that was great. They did a great job that last 15 minutes. But if we focus and realize that the growth really takes place during the process, during the journey, I will tell you without a doubt that I will be a better speaker because of this process. You know, talking about the end product, most of us know who Michael Phelps is. And if you were to ask somebody who Michael Phelps is, he would say, well, he's been in the Olympics five times. He's won 27 Olympic medals. 22 of them were gold. I mean, he is just an incredible athlete and people know him for that. But here's something I bet you didn't know. Did you know that Michael Phelps did not take a single day off for five years? That means holidays, birthdays, you name it. Uh, he would say that the pools were crowded during the weekdays and he had them to himself on weekends. He did not take a day off for five years. And you probably had no idea about that, but you knew that he was a champion. So here's the thing I want you to consider. He didn't become a champion by winning a gold medal, or in this case, 22 of them. He became a champion because he decided he wasn't going to take a day off for five years. He became a champion during that journey. 
So as you're working on your day-to-day, ask yourself, are you growing your circle of influence? Is it staying the same? Is it shrinking? What are you doing to make yourself better so somebody else may or may not be able to see the results in the future? You have a choice to grow your circle of influence, and this growth is done where you may be the only one that knows the growth is ever happening. This is the victory. It's not the gold medal. It's not the finish line. It's the fact that you are attempting to grow it. You are becoming better because of the journey. This is your personal win. Well, Nation, I hope you enjoyed this journey of the process of something that I did. I really think that you can use this towards anything that you want to accomplish. And I I hope you liked my presentation. So if you do decide that it was pretty good and you want to help me get on an actual TED stage, you can go to my show notes page and there's a link there for TED Talk nominations or again, that's speaker-nominations.ted.com. And for those of you that want to actually see the video of my uh, talk that I did, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash my talk. Again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash my talk, all one word. Nation, thank you for giving me the platform to share this experience with all of you. I would love for you to share an experience like this with me. Let me know how you use this information. And again, if there's something that you want to hear on the show, let me know that too. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll talk to you next week on Scaling Up H2O.